Delivering all the news, the informed views and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the racetalk.com. This is On The Grid. G'day everyone, welcome to another episode of On The Grid. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening. Tony Shebeki is still on gardening leave or assignment, whatever. I can't remember what excuse we came up with last week was but anyway i'm filling in for him for another week i'm joined by mark walker mark not only did you have a weekend on the couch watching motor racing but you went to some live motor racing as well oh we worked on the groove and then there's a bit of a groove development in Noyora speedway we went out there and saw cameron waters rip it up in his sprint car which was a very good bit of fun check out the full story and photos on the racetalk.com for that uh, AWC Race Tasmania was the headline act on the weekend. Coming up, we've got Tim Macro, who leads the Australian Drivers' Championship. And a little bit later on, we'll hear from Jack LeBrock, who's unveiled the new truck assist racing supercar for Matt Stone Racing with Todd Hazelwood. We look forward to previewing that. Bit of a dark horse for strong results in supercars this year. But Race Taz was the big deal. Some massive uh, events. I think it's the only way you can explain what was going on down there at Simmons Plains Raceway. And delighted to say, joining us on the grid is one of Stan Sports' absolute gurus from the broadcast, patrolling pit lane and delivered some fine content. The one and only Chris Stubbs joins us on the grid. G'day, Stubbsy. Welcome to the show. Gentlemen, how are you both? Extremely well. All the better for talking to you again, my friend. We, let's be honest, had a pretty good weekend down at Simmons Plains, didn't we? Nice to be back at the racetrack. When is it not a good weekend at Simmons Plains? Anytime you go to Tassie, God's country, mate, it's where only the best are bred. And uh, it was a fantastic uh, to get back there. Uh, on a personal note, that that is where I grew up. It was the track I went to and fell in love with motorsport and had the posters on the wall and used to line up like every other kid and try to get the autographs and the pictures and absolutely loved it. So anytime I get to go back there is great. And to have racing back on track and the fans there and the weather was great and We'll talk a little bit more, I'm sure, about the on-track action and sometimes, unfortunately, the lack thereof. But uh, what we saw on track was absolutely outstanding. Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> and, and from the from home, obviously, you know, big weekend for the sport. You know, the big move to Stan Sport. We've analysed this in depth previously, but, uh, you know, clearly the production values, everything, all the on-air talent, they're all very familiar to any punter at home watching. So it, it was slick it was what you expect from the people putting it together so that was great but you're right it was just frustrating it's so many times there the races were just interrupted there was carnage and all sorts of things going on uh and it just sort of snowballed you'd have a an unfortunate crash and then there'd be a slow recovery because there'd be something you know the brakes would bind on nash morris's trans am car or something silly like that would happen or you have a car stuck out there on a flatbed between sessions when it should be back in the workshop being dealt with so it was just lots of little things like that they were just a bit frustrating but yeah you're right when the cars are out there racing it was sensational stubsy did you have a favorite moment that stood out and you delivered some fine content on the weekend uh your full newsman mode when you were trying to grab James Moffat in race two of <laughs> Super Chip Auto TCR. That was the firm don't argue from Moff, but you were persistent. I like that. Look, <laughs> I hate that stuff. To be honest, yeah. I hate that stuff because you've got enormous respect for the drivers and for the guys. Moff and I get on great with knowing each other for a long time and, and you don't want to be up in their grill. They've just had a, a massive stack. You know that just by looking at the car that he's likely to be out for the rest of the day. And it's fair to say he can be a little, um, what's the term for Prickly. 
Prickly, emotional. I was going to go emotional. You said prickly. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> that's that, your words, not mine. I think I said on the broadcast on the weekend that he, uh, in the past, has at times been a bit hot-headed. Um, yes. So I'll probably stand by that. I don't think he'd be too offended by that. So I didn't really want to do that. But for the viewers at home, you want to understand the emotion of the moment. And I think he handled it pretty well. Like. Yeah in his defense to to just say look I'm, I'm not going to talk I'm not going to talk and obviously later on he did once he'd calmed down and been able to assess the situation he came on and was great in commentary wasn't he so he's a natural media performer um and he was just filthy mad we saw the the exchange with Troy Russell there from uh, MPC and and you knew that if he did speak to me he probably wasn't going to cover himself in a lot of glory and probably end up getting a fine or something like that so I understand why he didn't want to I was disappointed. I would have loved to have been able to bring it to the fans at home in the heat of the moment and hear exactly how he was feeling and get his take. But he delivered it to us later on. So a bit of theatre never goes astray. But, uh, yeah, it's not always the most comfortable situation. So what's everyone's take on that incident? Because it was a contentious move, wasn't it? Uh, Jay Hansen obviously came up trumps at the start of the weekend and it all sort of unravelled there with that move on Moff in that reverse grid race. It's hard. It was a bit of a 50-50. I don't think you can entirely attribute all the blame to one person. Look, there was, I think, a bit of an opening there for Jay and good on him. He had his tail up. The confidence was there, wasn't it, after the win the day before? He had that brand new Audi that looked so tough, didn't it? Probably Mm. thought he could get through any gap with that. And clearly he was following on from in front. But I think the initial replays don't look great whether it's hard to know without the data and knowing if there are any issues with steering or who was on the gas and who was on the the brakes at what points in the contact it just didn't look like he was trying to turn left too much uh, after the initial contact so and the damage spoke for itself um that was my take richard what, what was your take yeah. initially it didn't look great no it didn't and my initial reaction to probably any crash like that where one car continues on and the other one ends up parked in a fence with lots of damage is that the one that tends to continue on is probably going to be more likely to be at fault in an incident like that. But we replayed it a dozen times and from as many different angles as we had, and there was no official wording that it was a anyone at fault after it from Alex Davison, who was driving standards boss for the weekend and, and indeed for the season. He's a guy that knows motor racing as well as anybody and has been in his fair share of moments like that. So he can interpret them. Um, yeah, I, the the problem with it was was that it started so far back. I mean, that it really all started teeing off at turn six when they were going under brakes, and as a result of being passed, Moff was offline, and Hanson saw the opportunity to go through, and it all like they do it. Simmons Plains, the boring that it is. Um, I, I think I used the analogy. It's like you throw the stone in the pond, and the ripples come out, and you you make a move at turn four, and it doesn't pay off until you get to turn seven. Quite often, and that's what we saw. It, much rather be in a position where you're Dylan O'Keefe v Jordan Cox. Uh, sorry, it was uh, the Tilton racing car, wasn't it? Brad mm. Shields a bit later on. And that was clearly Brad with a wheel up on the curb on the inside, got into the rear corner of Dylan and turned him round. Much easier to make a call on that. Whereas it's, I agree with you guys. I think it's probably more 50-50. And the, the problem is it wouldn't have been so bad have Moff been caught in the gravel trap and stuck there and not made contact with the fence. Everyone probably would have been more accepting and you go, okay, well, two cars side by side, one of them came off worse than the other, but because there was so much damage and it was such a big crash and there was so much heat around it in the pit lane as well. Um, I think it, yeah, it probably just added to the discussion from, from what it really was, Mark. 
Is there something to be said for that new Audi? Seems like a pretty good mousetrap. Mm. Well, I think the interesting thing, boys, is that there was no BOP adjustments on TCR at that round. The global uh, balance of performance rules hadn't been in place because there hasn't been that much racing. So when they feed all the data in from Simmons planes to the global spreadsheet that they use to generate the the BOP for TCR, Audi's going to look at that and go, gee, one race one by five seconds. We're going to give this thing 50 kilos at the next round. So it could inadvertently hurt the Audis racing anywhere around the world, but didn't he drive well? And, and Stubbsy, that was one of the, the things for mine calling TCR for the first time was the, the young guns yep. popping at the front. So Zach Suter, I thought was outstanding. Jay Hansen crash aside was really, really strong. Bailey Sweeney in the Hyundai, I thought did a, a superb job. That's one of the cool storylines, isn't it, in TCR, where you're getting um, these young talent racing guys like Moff and Will Brown and, and people that have been proven to do the job. Zach Suter was awesome. Wasn't mm. he outstanding? And considering the Hondas were so bad there 12 months ago, he was really, really impressive because I think, for memory, he was fastest on Friday too in practice, wasn't he? Um, so across the weekend, he was consistently quick. And, and as a privateer team... That's that's just a phenomenal result, and he's pretty young still, isn't he? And, and on the way up, great family. The family connections, obviously, there, and and I think it's just a team that can really show something over the next few rounds. And uh, at home, I guess you could call it at Phillip Island in a Victorian race, anyway. That uh, he knows that track well. So looking forward to see what the Honda, the whole when we get to Island. The the one thing that I like about TCR is that you get these underdog winners come through. We've got some really good established names in the class, but you get a young guy like Zach Suter, second season out there, and he's sticking to the man. I thought um, Bailey was really good as well. Actually, on that, I've had this before. I've had it before, and you know exactly where I'm going with this. When you interview a very excited person on the podium and they absolutely (laughs) drop an F-bomb on you, your recovery, (laughs) sir, was a lot better than mine. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to calm him down and let him know. That's why I said, I oh, will bleep that out just to kind of try and relax him, knowing full well that it was already going to air and that there was nothing that we could do about that. Uh, so, look, that's the passion of the sport. It's the emotion. You can see what it means to the young guys. So obviously, his first round of a super cheap auto TCR racing, and, and I thought he was fantastic. The Hondos in general, weren't mm. they? They were a real step up. I thought they were good. Nathan Morecambe on the podium in, in the first race of the weekend, and the team, that team looks great. Yeah. So I think they're back. The the champion team from 2019, they're back in business. It's a really genuinely good field though, isn't it, Stubbsy? And I feel like this is the best it's been since TCR came into inception. And we've had some really good talent in the field over the last couple of years. But just you, you sit back and look at it as a broad product. And you mentioned the level of presentation for the Hyundais. Completely agree. Among the best looking touring cars around at the moment. And you go beyond that and just the level of depth, the Will Brown comes in, you've got our mate Michael Caruso battling away, you've got the potential of Fabian Coulthard coming in, doing some more in the, the Honda, Tony D'Alberto's fast. It just feels like a genuinely broadly competitive field and the best perhaps that TCR's been. Couldn't agree more. And I like the um, the format, the reverse grid in, in, you know, throwing that in the middle. It just keeps everyone fresh, keeps everyone on their toes. No one's dominating, which I think a few of us thought Will Brown, when he came back, might be a little bit of the Chaz Mostert's from last year and that he that he might find it a pretty comfortable situation to be in, but that certainly wasn't the case. Jordan Cox didn't help himself, did he, early on the weekend? He's one of the, I think, the title favourites for this year. And Aaron Cameron as well wasn't really on 
on fire across the weekend. Not far off the pace, but they're two guys that you'd certainly expect to step up at, at Phillip Island and beyond. So for mine, I reckon there's a good eight people at least yeah. that could probably win the title. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I would. I, I, the thing I like as well, and you mentioned Aaron Cameron and Jordan Cox, and the thing I like about where we're going with TCR now is that we're starting to build those little rivalries and build the personalities. And I think that's what's going to drive this series forward into a bit more prominence than anything else is just having a little bit of niggle, having some bigger personalities in it. Bailey dropping the F-bomb. I thought that was his Scott McLaughlin moment, wasn't it, at the Adelaide 500? <laughs> but the moment that Jordan Cox and Aaron Cameron started on the front row in race two, every single person in that paddock went, oh, this is going to be great. And it was, and they banged doors through turn one and two, and it was unfortunate that Aaron's car dropped a, a turbo intercooler pipe but because they would have boxed on because they're two drivers that are never backwards in coming forward. They've got great race craft, great speed. And I think the more of that we see in TCR – it's only going to help the categories rise to becoming something more than what it already is. Yeah, and there's such a great bunch of people in that mm. paddock. They seem to be really authentic. A lot of them have done it the hard way in their motorsport. A guy like Aaron Cameron is a concreter on the weekend and he's just plying his trade. He's such an honest, decent guy. And I'm really looking forward to this year trying to develop those personalities and show them off a bit more and, and give these young guys some profile because – Coxie as well. He's a great talker, a really, really uh, engaging character. And I hope we can really put that to the fore this year. I mean, Aaron on the weekend, he had that busted radius, uh, the bone in his arm yeah. that he did from the mountain bike riding. He was incredibly sore, uh, especially after Saturday's race. So I know before I said he wasn't right on the pace, so that, that could well be a part of the reason for it. But um, really, really good guys. Jay Hansen, what an you know, outstanding young kid who's just continuing to grow in his confidence and you know, they're keeping the older guys like Tony D, Caruso, Coulthard, the ones you mentioned earlier, they're keeping them honest. And, and that's what I love. It's that mix. And I think that's what fans are engaging with too. Uh, just quickly, wrapping up on TCR, my favourite moment of the weekend was Will Brown v Tony D'Alberto on the final lap there where Swill had two wheels off on the grass and there was zero, at no point did anyone <laughs> think he was going to lift out of that. No, <laughs> we all know Will long enough that he was going to keep it flat, whether he had two wheels on the grass or all four, but at the same point, I love that Tony gave no room and he was absolutely committed to finishing third for Honda there. Oh, I thought that was such a cool piece of motor racing. Couldn't agree more. And and Will across the weekend, you know, we always talk about the smile and his personality and he's the, the little lounsy, if you like, but I'll tell you what, as soon as the, uh, the visor's down, it's, it's yeah. game on with, with Will. He will not take a backward step. And, and he was straight up to the fence after the Moff crash, just checking the repairs to see how long it was going to be, chatting away to Tom, which was great to see Tom Moore, his engineer, obviously, from Erebus there too. Uh, so it's just, it's just a great bunch of people, and it was just so good to be back at the track. Oh, wasn't it? It was so good. Uh, quick word to Trans Am. We've got Tim Macro to join us a little bit later on to talk S5000 and uh, the old bloke beating all the youngsters in that category, which is tremendous. But um, Trans Am was extremely frustrating. I think we can all agree because there's so much boys built in potential in that category to be extraordinary this year with the depth of talent, some really good surnames, a lot of second and third generation surnames that have been well documented, but it just never quite fired on the weekend. But I'm hoping we get to Phillip Island and we see what that category can put on. We see what Nathan Hearn and Aaron Seaton delivered at Easter Bathurst at the six hour last year, which were just three unbelievably competitive races. Just didn't quite fire on the weekend, Mark, did it? Not just not quite. Not quite. Not quite. Is that in that third 
race first corner pileup. That was just such a shame. It took out so many of the good yeah. guys that would have boxed on in that race. Uh, it's one of those tracks, isn't it? You've got the long straights, tight corners, and it produces all this sort of shenanigans under brakes, which, you know, it started in race one when John McCorkendale went spearing into the back of Nash <laughs> yeah. Morris, and then uh, Tim Shaw came unstuck and smashed into the fence. Although my favourite bit of TV for the whole weekend was the finger waggle from Tim Shaw walking back to the... It was just cut perfectly to him just before he's produced the finger. They must have known exactly what was going to happen back there in the box. Brian did nice work there, Stubbsy. Brian Forshaw, the director, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. There was a fair bit of emotion around that one. And him obviously being an icon of motorsport in Tasmania would have been wanting to put on a show for the home fans. So he would have been incredibly disappointed and his son's involved in in the mix there as well. So, yeah, he would have been very disappointed. But like you said, the, the family lineage is great. I thought Kyle Girton on the weekend was outstanding. He was pretty consistent last year as well but he just this weekend so far has taken that next step and another one of these young guys that you talk about that has got a great personality i know he's been doing a a bit of work a bit of media training uh he's very committed to just building everything together as a racer and i love that i thought he did a great job on the track and also in interviews etc um so brooksy he's great isn't he like you know he knows exactly what he's doing behind a, a wheel and commercially he's got the whole package together wall racing did a great job there and Hopefully, maybe we can see those three have the battles like we saw with Seaton in the mix last year because it was outstanding. When it was good, it was very, very good Trans Am last year. Yeah, and final word, Jet Johnson. I reckon he did a really, really nice control job for a kid that's really only raced Hyundai XLs. Um, and with the weight of everything on his shoulders with that surname and indeed the number that he's carrying, I thought that was a really cool, cool little moment to beat P5 in that last race. Yeah, for sure. In the feature, did you talk to him for that, Stubbsy? Yeah. No, no, I didn't. I didn't talk to Jeff because he just he spoke so well, and there's absolutely no doubt which family he's from. You can just see there's so much Queensland in all that. (laughs) (laughs) He's uh, he set himself up there, but uh, he did a a neat job, and he was one that stayed out of trouble all weekend long. That might have been a a Molly Taylor piece, Uh, Stubbsy. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'd love to get you on. Uh, a little bit more regularly, if uh, time permits for you this year. We know you're a busy man with everything you've got going on. You know, you've been bouncing back and forth from Olympic Games and all sorts of stuff, but we uh, we love having you part of it. Just just a word, and we don't want to pat our own back too much, but um, really cool group of people, isn't it, behind the scenes on this uh, Stan Sport TV coverage. Um, I thought Molly Taylor had a career best weekend in front of the camera for her. Matt White, who is the, the pro of pros, um, when it comes to hosting a broadcast, I think he's just such a guru at, at the sport. And then uh, old mate Caruse bobbing in and out of the race car, I thought he was pretty solid as well. No, I couldn't agree more, Molly. You can see why she's been so successful behind the wheel. She's very diligent. You know, she's making sure she's learning the whole time. From day one, she's been asking questions of everyone to try and better herself. And, and I, yeah, I think that speaks volumes in, in how she's progressed. And um, as I said, I think that's why, mate. Maybe she's been so successful as a driver. You're right, Caruso brings character. He got moffed to chat when I couldn't. So yes, it's I know. <laughs> Maddie's such a pro. He loves his motorsport. It's great to have him back in the lane. And he just oozes confidence, doesn't he? It's just he's so calm and he just loves what he's talking about. Um, and, it's, yeah, it's just an outstanding crew both on and off. We'd love for you to join us and watch it at some point throughout the year if you can. Stubbsy, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, look forward to doing it all again down at the Phillip Island Grand Prix circuit in what isn't that many weeks away from now.
Absolutely can't wait. And of course, the guys in the commentary box, they, they oh, do an all right no. job of knowing yourself in that moment. You've done a better job thanking us than Matty did on Saturday. But uh, thanks, Stubbsy. Chris Stubbs joining us here on The Grid. You're listening to the latest from around the motorsport world. On The Grid. You're listening to On The Grid, wherever you get your great uh, podcast from or on the Radio Show Limited Network's RS1. And thanks to all of our international audience for joining us and firing the odd question through about what we're doing down here in Australia. We do appreciate that. And we'll do a Q&A, Mark, at some point later this season uh, focused on the RS1 audience for those that might have some supercar questions or want a specific driver on. Uh, we'll work on that. But uh, positive early feedback, I think, from our debut so far this year. Oh, the voiceover man at the start's come back for three weeks in a row. So I think we must be doing something right. Keep paying the retainer there. So uh, it sounds good. Uh, speaking of sounding good, the results for our next guest were on the weekend as well. And as he searches a third Australian Drivers' Championship to join the likes of John McCormack, Paul Stokel and 1M Scaife. Tim Macro found himself leading the championship after the opening round of S5000, thanks to a mighty win in the feature race on Sunday afternoon. He joins us on the grid now. Tim, congratulations. Not bad for an old bloke, my friend. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Thanks, Krause. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, getting on a bit, but I've still got a little bit by the looks of it. Clearly. So, no, we had, we had a ripper weekend in the end. It was a bit of a slow start as it's been accustomed to lately. But, um, you know, we really finished it off and the team did a great job. Yeah, so your qualifying's not much chop, mate. What's the deal there to fix that? Well, we actually had a couple of little issues earlier in the weekend with brakes, which we only got really sorted out on Saturday night. And um, I actually went out in race two with new pads all round, which is not really the done thing. So mm. we're lucky to get away with that. But, um yeah, we got that sort of half sorted and made a couple of little changes on Saturday night, which really made the thing a lot better. And it showed in the last two races because we had pretty good pace. Now, you're a sole loan operator out there, one car operation. You're up against the might of Team BRM and Gary Rogers Motorsport. Mm -hmm. Must be pretty cool to get that win up. Oh, it's really satisfying. And, you know, doing it with one car is doing it the hard way. Like, it's it'd be really good to have a couple of good teammates to bounce off. And that really fast tracks things like setup, which is probably where, you know, we're probably a little bit slower just because we are one car um, in getting to where we need to go. But it's really satisfying and it shows we can do the job. Like we, we're only a little team, but we're really professional in what we do and we try to operate and we do operate at their level. Um, and, you know, GRM and BRM are teams that, you know, in open wheel racing, BRM in particular, you know, to aspire to. And, you know, we're, we're on a par with those guys for sure. You've made a knack of making the reverse grid or the jumble grid race pay off for you in terms of a good result, but then it helps your point score so much for that final race grid, doesn't it? So it's such an important part of the weekend to nail the execution there, which you did in finishing second to Josh Fife, who mm. I thought drove very, very well in Albert Kelleher's car to win that race. Um, it's such a big part of the weekend, isn't it, to nail that, to roll onto the feature and start as high up as you can? Absolutely. Um, it's all about consistency and, you know, and that race, you know, you've just got to try and finish in the top four or five. And if you can do that all year, you know, you'll be in the first one or two rows for the final. And, you know, the, the points system this year is heavily weighted to the final. So you've just got to be on the podium. If you can be on the podium in every race, you'll win this championship. And the reverse grid is really, really important. So, you know, you've got to be in that top 75% uh, to take advantage of that. So you've got to be you've got to basically be in the top five for the whole year and, you know, it'll, it'll really pay off. Yeah, we saw lap times really come down over the weekend. Where yeah. was the gain in 12 months? 
Well, I think the track had a lot more grip than last year. Like you'll notice last year, we were only really starting to get really quick in the last race. And I think the place was pretty green. And this year, I think they've had the Marcus Ambrose thing only a week or two ago. And a little bit of club racing, I think, has been going on. And it really shows with the track speed. So, because we were fast out the gate on Thursday, um, mm. you know, straight into the 49s and 48s. So, I think the track condition was a lot better. And if you sort of overlap it with last year's final, I think we got down into the 49s and last year's final just. So, the track was only starting to come good. So, I think it's a bit of a pandemic thing. The second lap on a 48-second lap, though, that's a big chunk of time to find. Yep. Um, I heard some discussions that maybe the changes made to the cars for Bathurst uh, last year around the airbox, get a bit more air in, maybe a little bit more grunt. Did that play a role, do you think, at all? You have to ask Rog that one, um, who, who builds the engines. But, yeah, look, that airbox has definitely got to be better. It, it can't not be. Um, mm. It's ram air, so um, it's probably got a little bit more power. But I think also we didn't run traction control this year. Yep. And so it's up to our right foot. And... You know, the traction control was okay, but it was probably a little intrusive. And I think, yeah, we're definitely quicker without it. So I think that's played a part as well. Which leads me to my next point is the next stop's the Phillip Island Grand Prix circuit. And it's a venue that I know you in particular would dearly love to walk away with the outright lap record in, which is still to this day held by uh, Simon Wills and the Barana Racing Reynard. I got within a tenth. I, got I know. Tenth well, we should tell that story quickly because... You basically threw away, you didn't throw away race win because you won the race, but you just put all your eggs in the basket of going out and breaking a lap record, didn't you? Yeah, we tried. I got in a tow, I think it was my Magro, I think, yep. trying to just get it over the line. And we got, what did we do at two? Uh, we were under it in quali, but quali doesn't count. Yeah. So I think we did like a 08 or something, a 2408 in quali or something like that. But and we did a 24-2, so we were really close, you know. Mind you, the track was the track surface had just been relayed, so that yeah. made it look a little bit better than it was. But I mean, it was pretty good to get that close in a little car like that. And I mean, if the weather plays its part, which who knows what Phillip Island's going to do, um, you know, we, we might be lucky enough to get close this year. We'll just have to see how, if the weather, you know, plays its part. Yeah, Richard, this one's probably more for yourself. One of the big talking points of the weekend was that first corner clash between Team BRM drivers, Tim Slade, the guest driver for the weekend, and Joey Mawson, the guy who's going for the title. That could have ramifications down the road. Yeah, it could. The person that got a lot out of it was talking to us on the chat as well, though, because <laughs> two pretty key rivals that were on the pace all weekend just oh, removed oh. from the equation. <laughs> Yeah, I was really unhappy when I saw yeah. when I drove past the next one. <laughs> yeah, look, it was it was awkward, and there's no doubt about that. It was very very awkward. And yep, Joey came down across on on Tim, but Tim was up on that inside curb there, and there was really no there wasn't an S five thousand with there. So I think they both in the end went and shook hands, and Tim may have a little bit, I think, and away we go. But mm. the, the most important thing for mine, and, and I know Tim would prefer Joey gets no points from that race, but from yeah. a, a show point of view, it was so good to see them get back out. And, um, and, and Tim, you've been part of great race teams. You've got a great race yeah. team. The group of people that work for you are tremendous in Brandon and, and Barry and everyone. But um, for BRM to turn around that car in what was about 35 minutes to put two corners on it and an under tray and a front wing, just it's remarkable stuff, isn't it? To get that effort and, and professional racing teams just never disappoint when it comes down to the crunch. No, it's impressive. And like looking at that thing, when it got dropped off the tilt tray, you know, 35, 40 minutes before the start of race three, you kind of thought they'd have no, no chance, but 
I mean, Shano and all the boys there do a pretty, pretty good job. And, you know, I've been involved with them in the past and, mm. and, you know, they, they do a ripper job on the cars and they're all ready to go and, you know, hats off to them because that there was a lot of work to be done to get that thing back out there. How relatively hard or easy are these cars to work on? They're like compared to a sedan, you know, they're easy. Like in that, you know, you can just bolt corners onto them like an open wheeler car, which is really good, you know, and, you know, they're actually really quick to do things on, um, you know, when you start doing things, you know, in the engine bay, they can get a little bit more complicated. Like we had a slight issue, which nearly stopped us from getting out in race two um, well, with the header tank. Um, we found a crack in it and a water leak. And that was, uh, took a little while to get sorted, but we got it done probably three, four minutes before we were due out of pit lane. Um, so when it gets into the engine bay, it can get a little bit more complicated, but when you're bolting corners on these, these cars are to work on a second to none, and, but still you've got to know where the settings have got to be on those arms and to put them in a, in, in the right spot. So the car's pointing in the right, in the right direction. Um, and all those guys would have had all that sort of sorted from their measurements in their books before they even got there. So that's why they could do it quick. The thing for mine, I think that we forget sometimes that this category has been around for such a long time and the genesis of it for even longer, but yep. In reality, we had six race meetings last year. We had two non-championship rounds in 2019, and we had a qualifying session and a practice at the Grand Prix in 2020. That's it. That's all the categories run. So how are you going from a development point of view? Are you still having moments where you're going, ah, that's new, that works? And, and clearly you're finding out more about these cars every time you jump into them. And, and that's what it, what's a shame about the category. And I know people expect a lot. And look, we only had you know nearly 10 cars on the grid on the weekend, but because of what's happened in the last couple of years, the category hasn't had a chance. Like mm. we had so much momentum. You were there at Sandown. We had, oh. you know, we had a massive crowd at Sandown just to see these cars. And since then it's just never had a chance to really get off the ground. So for it to still sort of be in some sort of operation and things looking up, you know, it's, it's doing a fact the ARG are doing a fantastic job in, to make that happen. And I know more cars will come online as we get to, Philip Island Grand Prix and onwards, but getting back to sort of with the car, like, yeah, obviously we're, we are still, you know, finding little things, but uh, we've got it They're pretty much in a window now, but, you know, at that circuit in particular, like I was fifth and only a 10th or two off the pace. So, yeah. you know, you find like a, a little thing here and there and you're at Bathurst. Like, <laughs> I mean, I was only four tenths off pole around a two minute lap and I yeah. was sixth. So, you know, those little things, just to get you that extra 10th or that little bit of turn or that little bit of braking stability, you know, we're still finding a couple of things here and there. You mentioned grids and you've talked about expanding your operation in the past. Are there mm -hmm. any prospects? What's the thoughts and feelings there? Absolutely. Um, hopefully we'll have a second car on the grid uh, for Phillip Island. Um, we've done a little bit of testing with some kids over Christmas, um, which you might've seen online, some video and stuff that we did. So that's more probably looking towards next year. But we've got a, a couple other drivers who are really keen to start off at Phillip Island and then maybe three at the Grand Prix. But to be honest, like I'm still driving and, and all that sort of stuff uh, and organising the team, probably two is enough for us right now. But um, we can run three if it's a local round, if we, if we need to. So um, definitely things are looking to are heading at that direction and um, that'll be really good for us um, and really good for the category as well. And speaking of other drivers, Tim, this weekend coming up is the opening round of Australian Formula 3 at Eastern Creek, well, Sydney Motorsport Park with the yep. AMRS series. Mm -hmm. uh, and Tim Macro Racing there has a veritable fleet 
more than you ever ran when you were in Formula 3 yourself. Yeah. Um, that, that's been a little bit of a surprise that, that people are gravitating back to these cars uh, after some time in the wilderness and a pretty handy little field gathering up there this weekend. And it's they're really good cars. And, you know, I'm trying to, and I've spoken to you about this before, Krause, is in, I'm trying to sort of create a pathway for the kids coming out through Formula Ford, my little Formula BMW, my Sim, my F3 cars as well, which are still really relevant cars. And I'm running three cars on the weekend. It would have been four, but I'm still waiting on another car out of England. And um, and there'll be 10, 11 solid cars on the grid, and that'll expand to 15 at different rounds. So the category's on the up, and, you know, it's it's on a good trajectory. And, you know, I've got a really good kid in, in young Ben Taylor. Or, um, I've got Trent Grubel running in a new car as well. So we've got some really good sort of talent coming through the category and it's looking really, really good. So I'm really excited for this weekend, actually. They're not the newest cars, but that probably brings affordability back into it. It does, yeah. On the flip side of that, how is going getting parts and that sort of thing for them? Oh, that's the best part. Like I run 2011 cars and I can manufacture my own parts, but it's not, you know, a set category. Um, But also I can still buy stuff directly off Delara if I want. Um, and I've got enough bits to rebuild the cars four or five times. So, and that's why we've sort of stuck with those earlier cars because, okay, they haven't got halos, but they're still, they're still relevant. And the car after that actually sort of started heading towards a spec car in that direction. It was actually the peak of Formula 3 was the F311, which is what we're running. And they're the fastest car still. They're faster than the 12 to 17. So, you know, the 12 was very close, very similar pace, but, you know, the cars are cheaper to run the earlier cars. So there's pros and cons. So that's why they've sort of gotten to the, say, F312 era and sort of haven't gone further. But in the next couple of years, we're going to have to transition to halos um, clearly. And with the F312 cars, you can actually update those cars to halos. So we are slowly moving in that direction. We're just trying to get the actual field and the category back on its feet where it should be. And then we can sort of start progressing in that direction. And the other thing I wanted to talk about, one of the many pies you've got uh, fingers in is a little concept called Formula Open. And, and this debuted yep. at the end of 2020 we had that race meeting at Sandown where Porsche put a grid of cars together and, yep. and you organised a grid of what was open wheelers predominantly, a couple of sports cars as well. Yeah. Basically Formula Libra, but yep. a really cool mix of, interesting racing cars and and you sit back and look at it and go gee it's a good little concept and it could evolve into something perhaps that brings some really cool wings and slicks cars old formula holdens indie cars whatever it might be to some decent motor racing events is that where you're heading with that yeah absolutely like i mean it's some cars don't have a home like i I had a formula holden here for a little while which we just sold and that car hasn't got a home to race and it's a beautiful car like they're amazing but with Formula Open, it just gives, you know, a chance at a state level and at an affordable level to have a wings and slicks car and race it. And there was nowhere in Victoria really to do that. It's sort of funny. I sort of got, we sort of fell into it um, at the end of 2020 when at that Porsche event, they asked me to sort of organise something. Um, it was the MG Car Club who actually asked me to um, do it. And and so this year it's sort of progressed. We're going to run a one-day race meeting at Pi Arc for their 70th anniversary. And I've actually organised a Formula 5000 race as well, but, right. um, but between you and me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you heard it here so, first. <laughs> so there's going to be 12 or 13 genuine 
1970s Formula 5000s on the grid, which is going to be awesome. So get down there for that race meeting on the 27th of March. But um, we're going to have Formula Open as well. So we're going to have a mixture of F3 cars. Um, the little hyper races are coming out. Um, we may have some radicals and stuff as well, some open top sports cars that'll be on the grid as well, but it's going to be a really good mix. And and then um, we're going to do one more race meeting. Um, well, maybe two more, actually. We're going to definitely do a state round at Sandown as well again. And because we had, a during the pandemic, we had 18 cars signed up before it got cancelled. So um, that's really positive. So I'll probably have five or six cars running in Formula Open throughout the year. And then we're going to do a third race meeting, which will, you know, probably announce in due course and um, and to finish the year off. So I think three is enough. Mm-hmm. And then we've got, you know, six or seven F3 races as well. So plus S5000, which will probably be nine races this year. So it's going to be a bit of a busy calendar. <laughs> plus, you know, I haven't really said much, but I'm going overseas throughout the year as well to do some racing as well. So it's uh, going to be a busy year. Okay. Righto. Yeah, <laughs> I'm free. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I'm getting to do some cool stuff. I'm actually going over to do um, Spa Classic in a Group C car and nice. Le Mans Classic. So I'm, oh. I'm really looking forward to that. And, I mean, we're starting a Formula Ford program as well. Um, you know, one of uh, the young ladies I've actually had in the sim, is we've just bought a Formula Ford and we're going to start running that at state level at some point during the year. So I have to start employing people. Oh. Crazy. Right, <laughs> I was going to say about the Formula Open, like they've had similar concepts up in Queensland and they've gone really well. There's not necessarily a big open wheel culture up there, but there's lots of these guys in this situation who have cars that don't necessarily fit in a home, but mm. you wind up with a decent grid and they've all got someone to race against. It doesn't matter if you're a, a radical or you're some sort of open wheeler, you'll find someone to race against. Absolutely. It was really funny at Sandown. The first two cars was an SR8 Radical and a Toyota Racing Series F250. Yeah. Yeah. And they they diced for the lead all race. And I think one time the SR8 got over the line because it was just quick in a straight line, but then the FT50 was great around the first sector and passed them. So it was, you know, basically we're harking back to the old days, isn't it? Like state level, we used to have Formula Libra where you have clubmans and formula twos and formula mondials and all that sort of stuff and it used to be a real spectacle so you sort of see as you do with class racing you see racing up and down the field the whole time so i mean that's what we're going for and you know we want it to be affordable and enjoyable as well and we want to get some cool cars you know i'm a bit of an open wheeler guy you know that crazy and Mm. you know i just want to get some cool cars out of the shed and and uh get some get some racing on track we need to do one at the bend, and uh, which could because there's a dozen Formula One cars over here, and some of them would race. Yasser Shahin's got a Formula Renault three point five, which is probably the fastest racing car in the country at the moment. But I'd love to just see a, a big open single seater. You remember the Euro Boss series with all yeah, the old yeah. F one cars and Indy cars and things like that. It would be unbelievable to do a one-off event like that at some point this year. So put that into your diary as well, mate. Just make that happen for us, would you? Because uh, we'd be there with bells on for that. That would be incredible. Well, it was a. It was actually a bit upsetting because Yasser and um, his crew sort of contacted me about doing the Pyark 70th anniversary race meeting, but we can't get the car quiet enough. Yeah. And the thing would, and that 3.5, like that'd be lap record. You know, oh, no, well, you, you don't want it there, then. No, come you on, don't want it. You, you want it in the S5000. How, how cool would it be, though? Like, oh, it's the thing's is quicker than an F1 car around a corner, but they can't put mufflers on it. So, it's, I think it's 110 dB, that thing. Yeah. And it so needs to be, I what, 95, 92 no, to run its 
Phil 95. Yeah. And, you know, he can get away with it because he owns his own track, but he can't get away with it at, <laughs> at Phillip Island because, you know, the penguins have got to sleep and you yeah. don't want to disturb them. So, yeah, yeah, bit of a bugger, but oh well. That thing would do 15s around there, probably quicker, yeah. I would have thought. Probably at least 18s or something like that. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be Amazing. awesome. Amazing. Tim Macro, uh, congratulations on the weekend. Tremendous Thank drive you. under some pressure, which was great and a handy lead. Um, three-time Australian Drivers' Champion, potentially. I, I know how much the history of all that means, and your old man raced in the Gold Star back in the day, and you've got two titles to your credit already. So it's a pretty cool thing to be targeting, really, isn't it? And a long way from where your career started, too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean... I suppose we haven't, you know, we're, we, like we're not super wealthy sort of people. Um, Dad's still next door working at the, at the workshop and he's 81. So for us to still be racing is just awesome. And, you know, we've, we've ran our own cars, you know, most of our career. A um, couple of times I got to race with some cool teams. So we've, we have come a long way and I'm, I'm just really thankful to still be racing because I really enjoy it. And, you know, you know, obviously in the next couple of years, I'll probably be just sort of transitioning out of doing that sort of full time and into, you know, running the team a little bit more, but, you know, while I can still do it and while I'm not, you know, on a walking stick or something like that, I'll, I'll jump in the car and have a crack. We are, I want to do an on the grid special with Peter Macro at some point, because there's, Me I reckon too. there's some great stories that need to be told there. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining us, mate. Always appreciate your time. Congrats on the weekend and look forward to catching up at one of the next 37 race meetings that you're at over the next uh, year or two. Thanks guys. Cheers. Tim Macro joining us here on The Grid. We'll take a break, come back with more, including Supercar launch season coming your way next. There's more great motorsport stories coming next on The Grid. All right, you're listening to the On The Grid podcast. Richard Crow, Mark Walker with you today. Tony Shebeki still MIA. He'll be back next week, we, we assume. Maybe. <laughs> uh, we've had some fantastic guests so far, and we always love having our next one on the show. An exciting times ahead for our next guest, because not only a new change of scenery, though the livery stays the same, it's an exciting reboot for Jack LeBrock, and he joins us on the grid. JLB, welcome back to the show, mate. Good to talk to you, and uh, welcome to season 2022, my friend. Yeah, thanks, fellas. It's uh, it's good. I can't believe we're uh, we're almost back into it again. It's come around very quick. So, uh, yeah, can you get back, uh, back, back cracking? And similar sponsor, but new livery, new car, new change of scenery for you and exciting times on Tuesday with the release of the Truck Assist Racing with Matt Stone Racing Liveries for 22. And it's a good looking rig as always with a Truck Assist livery. Yeah, no, definitely. No, it's so good to finally, uh, finally get it all out there. The, um, yeah, like you say, the liveries uh, was unreal and the boys and, and girls there have done an awesome job. And yeah, it's really cool to be uh, a part of the, the Truck Assist family again and, uh, yeah, looking forward to the next couple of years and uh, seeing what can uh, unfold for us, uh, especially this year, and, and building on that into into twenty twenty two twenty three. So, uh, no, it was uh, it was good. It was a great day. Jack, you were there at the ground floor when Truck Assist was pretty much started as a brand in itself when they first signed on at Techno a few years ago. Now, um, that's for the Sandown five hundred, and since then their investment, NTI's investment in the sports really ballooned and now to have two truck assist cars that's it's pretty cool to see a brand that you've been associated with for so long really growing with the sport yeah definitely uh, it's very it's pretty special i think uh, i feel like i'm part of the part of the furniture there now and all the 
everyone in there at the office uh, all fairly well. And, um, yeah, that's great. I think we've got some pretty cool stuff planned for, for the year with the team there. And uh, it's, it's funny, I've still got uh, my little name tag from the photo shoot we did a few weeks in uh, in there in the office desk deal. So, um, yeah, every time I fire into the office, I'll, um, yeah, claim that desk as my own. So, uh, yeah, no, she's good. I'm looking forward to a big year with the, the truck assistant NTI crew. I was going to ask you about that, Jack, because some fine acting skills from yourself and Todd Hazelwood in a little promo video. A- acting, that was watch. legit. He's, <laughs> he's, he's in there. That's his day job. Now. When I when yeah. I need my truck assistance, Jack, I expect you to be on the other end of the phone line. Yeah, no, hundred percent, mate. I helped out uh, probably you know a dozen dozen people that afternoon, so <laughs> I only had a quick you know half an hour call and uh, time to do that. But you know, we got some calls done and <laughs> locked it away. <laughs> no, it was good fun. It was a bit of uh, good banter between myself and Todd, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a funny day filming. You guys have really grafted with sponsors, and you've sort of developed a really good core group of backers who followed you throughout the whole journey. Uh, over different years and different classes and stuff. And, and Todd's in a very similar boat. And you arrive here at, at Matt Stone, it's got some good vibes about it because it's a racy team. You guys, I think there's a lot of potential there for you guys this year. Yeah, the vibe, it's uh, it's, it's great. The, the guys there at MSR have got a really good uh, vibe going and yeah, they're doing doing a great job. I think it's massive credit to Maddie and Jimmy and, and everyone else there. Like they've just make everyone feel so welcome and all the sponsors and partners um absolutely loved it. And like I say, we've got a really good core group of guys who've been there um from the start. So back even back in Formula Ford, there's yeah, they're still still carrying on and they just love it and uh, are great supporters and it's helped me, I suppose, get to where we are. So it's uh yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool and it's great to have uh yeah, truck assist now joining that journey and as well as tire power, it's their first time in a sport on the car, in supercars. So that's uh, that's a pretty special moment as well for those guys. And, um, yeah, so we're looking forward to hopefully bringing us some great results on track and uh, having some fun doing it. And you must have looked at that team, Jack, in the off-season and gone, okay, well, last year there were some genuinely very strong results from Kostecki and Goddard in those two cars. There were some top-10 shootout appearances. There was some really strong race pace. So do you go there looking at it with the outlook of, we've really got something very, very solid to build on and, and generate some serious results as 22 builds on? Yeah, 100%. I, yeah, yeah, I've seen that more um, being up there, especially the last few weeks, seeing how the boys operate and how they've been prepping the cars and how they're going about their business, getting ready even for their test day. Um, so it's, it's really good, I think. And as you say, they had some really strong results there last year. It's a customer triple eight car and they've gone out and, uh, Got a few more go fast bits over the break, which is great. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting into the car and, and seeing what that brings. But, um, yeah, look, you never know until you to rock up to the first round and you're on track with everyone else at the same time, at the same tire quality, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, no, I think uh, myself and Todd, I think we're, we'll uh, work together pretty hard and with the rest of the guys and uh, hopefully build a pretty strong uh, relationship with everyone there. And, uh, yeah, it'll be good to have some solid results. The whole genre of triple eight built Commodores, you had a couple seasons in them, so it's not something that's entirely new to you. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, there was uh, cars that evolved a fair bit since then. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what it's like actually getting back into a triple eight car where they've gone with it all, um, especially since they've been been on this new uh, single spring package and the super shock. So it's uh. Yeah, it'll be good though. I don't think their philosophy and the way they go about setting up the car will have changed too much, but um, there's only one way to find out. So, uh, no, I'm looking forward to the challenge and I've learned a lot, especially uh, last year. And uh, yeah, that came, I suppose, down to Sammy Scaffi, uh, the engineer I had. He was he was mega and um, I suppose helping me um, learn a lot and, and get a lot out of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, I suppose, using that uh, this year. 
Yeah, and, and from an environment point of view, Jack, you've gone from a, a single car team at Techno to Tickford Racing, which is four or three cars, depending on what year it was. And um, now you're at a, a two-car squad, but it's a, a tighter, probably slightly smaller little race team, I, I guess, uh, than, than what you've had for the last couple of years. So does it just feel like a, a happy sort of medium, I suppose, from the various supercar teams you've been in to this point in your career? Yeah, definitely. I'm um, I'm absolutely loving the vibe here at MSR at the moment. They're um, yeah, like I said, a great bunch of guys and very easy to get along with. Do anything and everything they can to to help you and make sure you're comfortable in the car and uh, get all the information and help you need to to try and uh, drive the car fast. So uh, yeah, look, I've done done it all now. Been to yeah the single car, the the big teams, and uh, now back to the two car team. And uh, yeah, I think it'll be good. We've got a great bunch of guys and girls there, and yeah, looking forward to to uh, getting to know all of them more throughout the year and. Uh, yeah, fingers crossed we can bring home some uh, silverware at some stage. Well, obviously silverware. You had a bit of that in 2020, had a win and back up in the podium at the bend later on in the season. Last year was a bit of a tougher one, but you ended really strongly. Like you made it into the top 10 shootout there at Bathurst. So, you know, it shows that you're able to turn things around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a few things, bits and pieces going on there, but it was, it was good. Like Sydney Motorsport Park wasn't a strong round for the team as a whole last year uh, for the Tickford guys. But um, look, we, we had some really cool results and I think we were able to take it to, to where Cam was. And he's definitely, you'd have to argue, in uh, the top few in the, in the field at the moment. So uh, for myself, that was, um, I was very confident, confidence inspiring. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed we can keep building on that. And um, yeah, I just said, keep learning and uh yeah, every day is a school day, so I'm looking forward to getting the most out of it uh, this year. And Jack, they've started rotating some drivers through the Gen 3 prototypes as they pound around Queensland Raceway. Uh, do you know when you're in line to get a steer of what I imagine will be the, the uh, Chevy Camaro, now your General Motors based, back on the, the red side of the ledger? Do you know when you're going to get a steer of that car and what are your expectations about what it's going to be like or what have you heard from chatting to some of your mates who might have had a steer? Yeah, everyone. I everyone who we see in the media, it's uh, it's been been nothing but um, good stuff about them. They look like uh, awesome cars to drive. They they move around a lot, which is which is great. It uh, puts another aspect, I suppose, back into the driving style. And and I suppose they've only been running it at QR, but even the, the attitude they have through turn one and turn two there is pretty cool. So um, they're going to be pretty hairy over the top of the mountain at Bathurst and places like that. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely got my hand up for it. So uh, yeah, been been uh, yeah, I suppose waiting in line like the probably the rest of us are here in um, in Pete Lane and I'm sure our time will come so yeah looking forward to it and uh, yeah it'd be cool to see what they've uh, come up with so far do you reckon you'll be able to cut a lap of Sydney Motorsport Park with your eyes closed <laughs> yeah I reckon I've got the blindfold pack just in case so um <laughs> usually I reckon you might go quicker with your eyes closed because you don't know you might break a little bit later you never know <laughs> uh, back there again good old <laughs> seriously jack do you get sick of a racetrack if you go there that many times do, does it get to a point where you go oh god i just i want to turn left after turn one not turn right or <laughs> don't, don't turn don't do the wrong thing there god not that corner oh that'll make a mess of it yeah no probably not this year we've had a good break probably got all that out of our system now but yeah last year was it was good i can't really say we can't complain about going racing but at mm. the same time it would would be nice to go to different tracks, but you know what? We made it work. We got through the season, but uh, to be honest, I actually really like SP. I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of the joint and uh, so I didn't have a massive issue with it. It was, uh, yeah, it was a bit of fun. And they've talked, uh, they've changed the tie regs as well for round one, haven't they? So I get to play, I think you get to play with the, the super duper soft Dunlop a bit in these 300 K races, which is going to be a different strategic little battle for the teams to sort out. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but I think the the super soft tie might have changed again. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, everyone's uh, pretty interested to see see how that all goes and uh, what's in store because it's one of those things where we're rocking up into the race again, not knowing or running that tie. So uh, yeah, should be good. I'm I'm looking forward to it, and um, yeah, it'd be be interesting. At least we're going from the soft to the the super soft this time, not from the hard to the super soft. Mm. So it'll be. Uh, yeah, it won't be so so crazy in um, lap time difference and stuff like that. But um, yeah, three hundred k's straight off the bat, um, night race. It's it's gonna be hard on the body. Like you're usually not conditioned at this time of the year. I suppose to that level, it's hard to to get used to driving a car and, and those sorts of bits and pieces. And it's something you develop throughout the year. But um, yeah, it's gonna be be crucial to for everyone to be be nailing the fitness as much as they can right now because it's uh, yeah gonna be a tough one on the body. I reckon. Well, one last one from me, uh, and this is a controversial take, but yourself and Todd Hazelwood, I think you've got the two best mums in pit lane. <laughs> oh, yep. no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah it's good. I, we should um, get the camera out the back with those two. It'll be good. They'll, um, yeah, have a bit of fun, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the battle of passionate race mums at racetracks between those two. Yeah, you're right. That Supercar Media, there's an episode of Supercar's Life in that, I think, just the two of them, just a locked-off camera on the two of them for you and Todd, especially if you're carving each other up. Yeah, no, nah, Dre, well, at least um, now, I know me, me, me and Toddles, we, we've raced against each other plenty of times and banged mm. a few doors along the way. So, uh, yeah, at least I suppose now you're not meant to run into your teammate. So, uh, fingers crossed, <laughs> none of that craziness happens. But, uh, nah, it'll be good. We'll go out there, race hard and, and do our thing and, um, yeah, bring back in one piece. That's not a controversial opinion, Mark. I think it's fact about, right about those two <laughs> racing mums, for sure. Jack, uh, congratulations, A, on the gig with uh, Truck Assist Racing with MSR. It's a really good-looking two-car team. I think a lot of people have got yourself and Todd sort of just circled in the back of their minds as uh, potential for some really strong results this year. So we're looking forward to it. Congrats on the launch. Uh, look forward to seeing you back behind the wheel. I think as this podcast goes live, you will be doing a test day, I think, is the... The plan this week so it'll be nice to get some laps again uh best wishes for the season mate we look forward to seeing you back at sydney motorsport park in a couple of weeks time yeah perfect no thank you fellas uh looking forward to it so uh see you trackside look forward to that jack lebrock joining us here on the grid <laughs> Uh, you're listening to On The Grid, Craylon Walker with you this week. We need to say a special thanks to our friends at Doric. Don't forget, uh, you can head to doric.com.au forward slash shop. Uh, use the code TRT at checkout to get 25% off any of their amazing range of hardware and uh, awesome items. Get on board. Uh, super to have Doric back on board and supporting On The Grid and the racetalk.com this year. Uh, we've just been joined by Jack LeBrock. Great chat, Mark, with Jack, as always. He's a cool dude. Is it a point in his career where you feel like a big couple of results aren't far away? And from the outside looking in, we touched on it at the end of that chat. Matt Stone Racing looks like the real deal this year. Two very good drivers, good commercial base. In Matt Stone and Jason Gomesell, they've got smart ownership with uh, the brothers of Stone hanging around in the background. So there's some pieces of the puzzle coming together there. Yeah, they're very savvy on their sponsorship front. They do very well with their business to business. They get a lot of companies that are in similar sort of industries and they put them together and they make it work and they've done a good job there this year. Obviously last year they had two essentially rookie drivers because 2020 they split the seat and it was 2020, which was mm. just a mess at the best of times. So they're starting with two guys this year that have a lot of experience under their belt. They've been able to get rid of all the rookie mistakes and they know what they're doing out there. So if they've got the support around them, they get the machinery, there's nothing going to stop them from 
pulling out some decent results during the year, I don't think. They're the kind of combo that if you were still allowed to pair your level one drivers at Bathurst, a Hazelwood-LeBrock combo in a Matt Stone Commodore would actually be half decent smoky for a Bathurst 1000, wouldn't it? It's just Not got wrong. that Yeah, it's just got that strong package. Uh, yeah, best of luck to that team. Good-looking livery. Pretty hard to cock up a truck assist livery, if we're honest. Uh, <laughs> we've been fortunate enough to work with them in the past, and uh, if you can't do a truck assist livery well, you're not trying hard enough, clearly. Uh, it's been a busy week in motorsport. Gee, it was nice to go car racing, Mark. Um, it might have been a scratchy Sunday down at Simmons Plains, but I cannot tell you how nice it was to be back at a racetrack. Now, I've gone back through the Race Talk Power Rankings for the last three times we've visited Simmons Plains Raceway, and there's yep. one common denominator in the knots, the phone reception. Oh, utterly appalling. Come on, we can make a difference here at the, at the, uh, on the grid. We, we can we, get this fixed. We can, and we have in the past. At Winton. Because <laughs> at Winton Raceway, I believe it was 2018, the power rankings blew up. I reckon it was close to top of the knot was the phone service at Winton Motor Raceway. And just before the cancelled round in 2020, I got a message from Chris Lewis-Williams, who was the then CEO of the Benello Auto Club. He's since left to go and set up a tyre power franchise in Benello, believe it or not. So he's staying close. He got a message and it was... He sent me a message and it was a clip from Telstra saying your order for a mobile phone, phone reception booster <laughs> has been placed and will be in place on the dates of the round. Now, the round didn't happen because of Rona, but we incited change, Mark Walker. So this is my challenge to uh, Motorsport Tasmania, to uh, Donald Potter and the team down there next year, please improve your mobile phone reception because the internet at that place was very, very, very poor. Aside from that, Simmons Plains is a tremendous racetrack and it never gets old going there. I I love that place. How, how was the town? How was the vibe in town? How, yeah, what's Tasmania like at the moment? It did, do you know what? It felt pretty normal. Yep. It, yeah, it didn't feel like there was uh, there, a there lot appeared of stress to be a lot of uh, mask wearing around the track. Yeah, so officially it was a masks on event and that's a Tasmanian government uh, mandate for major events with a, a certain crowd figure. So it's masks on everywhere. Now, not everyone obviously did that because that's the world we live in at the moment. But I think most people were pretty diligent about it. Certainly from a race team point of view, I reckon there would have been 90% compliance for the most part from mechanics, from engineers, um, working away wearing face masks. So I think that was really impressive and and whether you believe it works or not is irrelevant that's what the government wanted they helped fund the event um that was what made the event happen so you had to do it and uh, i personally had no dramas doing that if it meant we could be at the racetrack and and i thought compliance was pretty good now the one thing about going to tassie just to, to start off a season you're a big show there mm -hmm. you're a bit of a deal like the media turns out you get mm. you get fans along it's hard to sell if you go to Sydney Motorsport Park to try and kick off your season. Yeah. You, you roll into Launceston, they've got the media down there. They understand what's going on. They're used to big events coming to Simmons Plains and then being significant in the overall scheme of things in Tasmania. They don't have many national sporting teams. So when you roll up there with a few decent fields of racing cars, they pay attention. Yeah, and the crowd was decent. It wasn't yep. what it was last year. Right. Uh that might, might be COVID of things. I Look, mean, certainly, and and there's definitely still COVID hesitance around, and and that's not just from punters either. That's from race teams and drivers yep. for sure. 
So yeah, there, look, there was the the crowd wasn't as big as it was for Race Tasmania last year, but but last year had it was the first event after twenty twenty when everyone wanted to get over that. Yep. Tassie was still utterly COVID free. Um, and it was a rigmarole to get in there last year. Um, which which was fine by the way at the time. Um, so yeah, look, there's varying factors, and to be honest, the program in twenty 21 was better than it was this year because we were yep. down touring car masters. So you didn't yep. have the, the drawing power of John Bow, who I reckon's worth five or 600 people a day through the gate. Oh, just, just family and friends. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, so it wasn't quite as big, but from an event perspective, it, it ran better. It was better organized. Everything f- flowed smoother than it did. So I, I think the only problem where race Tasmania is, is that it's so early in the season. Um, and look, the Bathurst 12 hours is usually the first weekend of February, and that is very early, but it's not part of a national championship. It's a couple of support categories in a 12-hour race, which in the past has predominantly been internationals. So there was some stress, especially in the S5000 world, and, and S5000 copped a lot for the, having nine cars there, but they their last race was December 5. Yeah. So you turn around and you're racing on, what was it, February 12, you know, when you're taking travel into account, the fact that cars had to be down there basically six days, five days before the event, you've got eight weeks max to build a program for the year ahead. So, and I'm not making excuses. It's a legitimate reason. So I think that hurt. There were going to be, there were 32 Trans Ams initially on the list, but we lost half a dozen because of yeah. timing and, and circumstance. And there were a couple of TCR cars that had the same problem. So it's pretty early in the season to run an event like that. It's better than running it on Australia Day like we did uh, in 2021. So maybe maybe there'll be some changes in the dates. I'm not sure. But even looking forwards, we've already had Michael Clemente come out with his yep. TCR program after the weekend for the subsequent rounds. Yep. Tim mentioned that a lot of drivers want to be involved with the S5000s at the Grand Prix, and that yep. is one that will definitely bring cars out of the woodwork. So you know, hopefully a few of those can tag on for the subsequent rounds after that. Yeah, and look, you know, open wheel racing, people look back at open wheel racing with road rose tinted glasses. And even in the peak of Formula Holden, when Scott Dixon was racing and people like that, they still only had seven or eight really good cars yeah. and then a bunch of privateers and she was all over. Yep. So, you know, at Simmons Plains qualifying, I thought was a really good session and you had the top six cover by about two tenths of a second. It's pretty competitive. And, and Tim touched on it on his chat earlier on with how competitive Bathurst was. If you're half a second off the pace, you're seventh or eighth. So... As long as it's racy and it's competitive, which it is, I think it's okay because when you've got three or four of those things battling together and you've seen them live, um, it's pretty yeah hectic stuff yeah. for sure. Uh, they're much better in the flesh. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier on in the show, I went out to Nyora Speedway mm. on Saturday night to take in a bit of the local roundy roundy out there because just haven't been able to do that in a long time. So I thought I'd go and see something new, but it happened to be that the series that Cam Waters has been competing in and they had 18 or so cars and he was quick time. Like he went out yep. there and qualifying and absolutely smoked them. So uh, had drums in the heats and then had to start from the rear, drive his way through to sixth in the race. Um, he put on a really good show, but the thing for mine out of that whole experience is what a great branding exercise for Cam Waters mm. because a lot of the teams, they sell a T-shirt at the back of their trailer when the fans are allowed in there during interval. But the Waters team, they had a massive tent up the top of the 
the Spectator Hill and everyone there, the place was chockers. It was obviously yeah. hardcore Speedway fans who wanted to come out and see the sprint cars for the night, but also so many locals. You could just tell that they were locals because of they're wearing the Nyora kit or whatever they were saying or doing. Yeah. It was very clear that they were just local people uh, there for their night out. Do, do you reckon the people that go, and I would argue that this is the same in Adelaide, uh, that the people that go to the Speedway over summer, so here it's Murray Bridge Speedway, they're the same people that will 100% go and camp at the Bend and watch oh, the supercars at the Bend. No, they, these just look like people who lived around the corner and they literally walked over in that their thongs. That was their Saturday night, yeah. And, right. and it was just their Saturday night out. But either they knew Cam Waters from supercars and they were there supporting him, yay, mm. Cam, good show, or they were Speedway people and they've gone, hey, this guy's all right. Yep. And they're now Cam Waters fans. Just judging by the amount of people uh, that sort of gravitated him during the autograph session, a huge, huge plus for his brand going out there and doing these things. And you see that with Kyle Larson in the States. He yep. goes off and does all this Speedway stuff, and suddenly his fan base is all these Speedway guys plus all the people who like him from NASCAR. So mm. it's a good thing for him. And you look at Cam's social numbers and he's got a lot of people on his socials. Like he's he's got a fair old following. So hopefully he can parlay what he's done over the summer into some decent, more consistent results. He had some good results last year, but if he can bang those out consistently, he'll no doubt be a big shot this year. I did smile when Jack said uh, Sydney Motorsport Park wasn't the strongest track for Tickford Racing uh, last year yeah. because I think we uh, nailed them a couple of times in the old Doric Power Rankings for uh, a lack of performance. Well, well Jack, Jack nailed Cam as well. True, he did. Yes, correct. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to bring it up. Uh, you, you're right, though. No, you're right. And the, the crossover thing's impressive. Uh, I, I'm fortunate enough to spend the weekend in Tassie with Molly Taylor as part of the team. And, and there's an athlete that has genuine crossover appeal in motorsport full stop. Yep. So that was her really her first public appearance since winning the Extreme E title for Rosberg. Uh, and doing Dakar Rally. Exactly right. And lots of questions about Dakar. So, yep. and, and lots of people would would ask for a photo and and i think that's that's great and i love seeing drivers cross over and try and yeah. do and try and do other things well we've seen Brody up there running a sprint car up in queensland yeah. which is pretty cool i mean he's done a lot of uh asphalt roundy roundy stuff over in the states and he's obviously pretty good at that stuff so well, even at the the uh speed series level nathan hearn has been in a sprint car four yeah. weekends in a row down in tassie yeah. So and then jumped into the Trans Am car and he'll be an S five thousand at the Grand Prix and I think Phillip Island as well. So they're all I think more of them are gravitating towards it, aren't they? And and if it wasn't for COVID, you could bet that SVG would be back in New Zealand doing some Western Springs well, Speedway midget stuff over summer as well. He signed up to do ARC. Yeah, that that's a huge, huge thing, isn't it? And and it's it's Shane Van Gisbergen. I know, right? He's the biggest name in the sport right now. And can, it's pretty surprising, isn't it? Is that that's is that the new ownership at T eight or the new management at T eight already changing the way they do things? Because Roland stopped him from doing a lot of extracurricular stuff, but a rally, a rallying's pretty bloody dangerous. Yeah, I mean, I think he sort of had free play up to a point in the season. It was like up till yeah. Sandown or something. Shane can go and be Shane, but then he has to be serious for the championship. I think last year after he smashed his arm yes. and chest and everything else in yeah. and then proved to be driving the much better when he was broken. Yeah. What's it with mountain biking? Yeah. What, what's it with mountain biking? Aaron Cameron. Yeah. Yep. Correct. He timed oh. that perfect. I spoke to Aaron about that and he did. He said, oh, mate, 
I timed it perfectly a week later and I would have been in real strife to race this weekend, but I broke it at the right time if there is such a thing. But yeah, it's just don't don't do exercise. Simple as that. I think if, if we learn from anything, it's don't go and get fit, you'll get hurt. Just go and drive racing cars. You'll be fine. Right. That's what it is. So there you go. Uh, we will follow the SVG story in the opening round of Australian Rally Championship in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, anything else on the agenda, Mark, or should we wrap it up there? Oh, I think we should wrap it up because it was it was a big weekend. Uh, a lot of time under safety car. God, that was frustrating on Sunday. The free-to-air window. I tried the, calling it, mate. <laughs> you know, the free-to-air window, the four races they had. Oh, yeah. it was just galling. But anyway, that's life. They'll all pick up the pieces and... Phillip Island normally turns on a lot more cleaner races than that. Mm. All I can say is try being the commentator for all that safety car stuff. Hard, Sigh. Hard, hard work. Real hard work. Uh, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, we look forward to maybe Tony joining us again with his presence next week. Honestly, don't know, but uh, he'll be back at some point. You've been listening to On The Grid. Thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Bye for now. Delivering all the news, the informed views, and just telling great motorsport stories since 2003. Powered by the theracetalk.com, this is On The Grid.